How many of you know love came for me? He did, right? Why is it that when we worship God, we sense his presence, it's like a, like a drink of water for a dehydrated soul, isn't it? Isn't there something so satisfying? In his book, Come Thirsty, Max Lucado says it shouldn't be surprising uh, that we long for water, uh, even physical water. You know, our bodies are 80% water. We're all basically walking water balloons. And the reason we have so much water is we need water to live. Our eyes need water. We can't see. Our mouths need water. We can't swallow. Joints need lubrication. Skin needs hydration. And so God uh, felt like water was so important to the human body that he didn't leave it up to chance, right? Nobody has to put on their calendar, now don't forget in the next week or so take in some fluids. God gave you a low fluid indicator called thirst. Go a day or two without water and you see what happens, right? Incoherent thoughts, dizziness, confusion, uh, all manner of uh, dehydration sets in. Well, the symptoms of a spiritually dehydrated heart can also send desperate messages. Loneliness, stress, a short temper, anxiety, hopelessness, resentment. Insecurity, sleeplessness. Max Lucado writes, these say about our soul what a dry mouth says about our body. It's time to come take a drink. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to physical thirst, of course, there's parts of the world that do not have access to clean drinking water. In the United States in 2022, most of us are probably not personally going to experience that problem. But when it, I would submit when it comes to spiritual thirst... Who can tell me that in 2022, right now where we are, who can tell me honestly in our culture there's not a problem with spiritual dehydration? Suffering, folks are longing for loneliness. We've got more access through social media to be connected to so many people and folks are lonelier than they've ever been. Water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Suffering, longing for a friend, longing for life to matter. These are not physical thirsts. These are existential thirsts, a longing, a void. And no matter what you try to throw in there, uh, another relationship, a change of location, a new job, upgraded this and a brand new that, nothing seems to fill that void. Every child will understand the concept of thirst when they open a Christmas present and it was all they ever wanted. Until what? Until the newness wears off doesn't fill. Where's that gift that satisfies? Does it exist? Well, today's gift exchange, you know, even in the series, the gift exchange, what God wants to take from you, what God wants to give to you. Today's gift exchange, we've looked at beauty for ashes, boldness for fear. Today, I want you to see Jesus offers living water for your spiritual thirst. Living water for spiritual thirst. Will you meet me in John chapter 7? John chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 37, and we're going to see his invitation to a great gift exchange, living water for spiritual thirst. John 7, 37. Now, while you're turning there, I, I have a Christmas present for you, and it's an outline for those of you who are note takers. This is a great gift. <laughs> We're going to walk through this text, and this will be our outline. Uh, when Jesus gives this great gift exchange, who can receive this gift? That's the first thing we'll see. How is it received? 
what are the benefits or blessings of it? And I know it's tacky, and you're not supposed to ask this question. But number four is, uh, how much did it cost? (laughs) Got it? Who can receive this gift? How is it received? What are the blessings? What are the benefits? I just call it, what is it for? And I know it's tacky, but how much did it cost? And we'll see this in John 7. Got the outline? All right, here we go. John 7, 37. Let me read the, this short passage we'll be looking at, and then we'll dive in verse by verse. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. All right? Short passage, but dense and rich. So let's break it apart. The context of John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Back up. What, what, what feast is he talking about? Why is Jesus shouting out? This was a, a feast prescribed in the law of Moses. It was a great feast. People would descend upon Jerusalem. This was the fall feast. This would have happened in October. It was called the feast of the festival of booths. The Hebrew word is sukkoth. And to this day, they still celebrate the Feast of Booze, the Festival of Booze, every fall, and it, it primarily symbolized in two ways. In fact, uh, in our uh, apartment where we lived in Queens, just north, in the neighborhood just north of us, was a traditional Orthodox Jewish community. And to this day, they celebrate and commemorate the first of these, and that is um, uh, uh, the idea of tents, little shelters. And so you would attach to your home, for the length of this feast, you would attach a little shelter to your home, and you would live in booths. You would live in these tents. And, uh, you know, I I think symbolically, I think they would eat their meals in there. They didn't necessarily live in there, but that was the idea. And that's what's going on in Jesus' time. No different. The first thing you would do is the festival of booths. You'd drive down. In fact, just like there's little pop-up shops for all all the holidays, if you drive down uh, Main Street in Kew Gardens, Queens, you'll see Sukkoth Depot. And they're setting up all, you can purchase these tents to, to, to rent uh, for the length of a sukkah. And you live in the booze. That was the first thing, was the festival of booze. Why? This whole festival is commemorating how God protected his people in the wilderness. See, they had a shelter that whole time. They had a tabernacle that God himself lived in a booth, if you will. He lived in a, in a, in a tent, in a tabernacle, in a portable dwelling. And God protected the people and gave them shelter during the time of the wilderness. That's the first thing they did. The other thing they did during this big festival was celebrate, what, what do you need? If, if you're going to walk through the wilderness, if you're going through the desert, if you're the children of Egypt, uh, children of Israel fleeing Egypt, the other thing you're going to need for those, uh, all those years in the wilderness, you're going to need what? Access to water. You're going to need water. So the second thing they would do, the priest, every day of the feast, they would, I mean, trumpets, a big parade, the whole procession, they would take a golden pitcher to the, to the spring of Gihon, and they would go down to the pool of Siloam, and they would take that pitcher of water, and they would march it triumphantly up, and they would pour it out, right? And they would do that every uh, uh, day of the feast. What are they celebrating? They, they're celebrating that great miracle where God uh, 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 prom- the, you know, the people are grumbling, complaining, we're all going to die out here. God provides. You remember this? When Moses strikes the rock with the rod, out came rivers of living water. And the people were saved because of this great miracle. Or they're celebrating that. On the last day, the great day, uh, day seven, the priest comes up and they not only pour out the water, they give it the old Jericho loop. They go around it seven times 
pouring it out, perhaps reciting maybe uh, Isaiah 12, with joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. So it's a great, great uh, uh, festival, great feast. Well, in the midst of this, this, this rabbi, this man of controversy, stands up and shouts, and this is what he picks up on, not so much the booze or the tabernacle, but the, uh, this whole issue of water from the rock. He stands up and shouts in a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You see that in the rest of verse 37. Now imagine at this, the, uh, the party stopped. <laughs> uh, this would have been shock. This would be like in the middle of the Easter Sunday sermon, someone just standing up and, and, and shouting out something. I mean, rabbis normally sat and, and taught in calm, quiet tones, but there's an urgency here to this. The other thing is to think about Jesus standing up boldly and saying this. Remember, if you know John 7, you can uh, look up a few verses. There's a warrant out for his arrest. The chief priest had sent the temple guard to go and arrest him. And here he's shouting out in front of everybody. And, and if you read later in John 7, at the end of this chapter, it's great. Uh, they, uh, they're, they're going to arrest him, and uh, they, they're like, we, we've, we've never heard anyone speak like this before. So they go back empty-handed to the Pharisees. Can you imagine your commanding officer sends you out to make an arrest? You see the guy, there he is, and you're like, why don't you tell him what happened? You know? <laughs> go back and report back. I'm sorry, never heard anybody like this. Well, that just means, all I'm trying to say is he risked his life to get the people this message. Now, it wasn't his time, he was trusting his father, but his message was urgent. He, 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 he burst forth, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. I think he's looking at all this religious festival. He's looking at all this ritual. He's seeing all these people who can acknowledge that Yahweh God can save physically, but it's become just for them a, a, a meaningless ritual. And he's saying, listen, you, you guys are celebrating this. Meanwhile, you're dying of spiritual thirst. You're surrounded by all this religion and all this ritual and all this festival. But this is water for your throats. But what about your hearts? Your insides are starting to shrivel and your heart's growing hard and crusty. What H2O can do for your body, I think he's saying, I can do for your soul. You need a drink. You need to flush out anxiety and fear and guilt. And here, in my opinion, is Jesus' great gift exchange. If anyone is thirsty, and he is still making this offer today, 2,000 years later, if anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Got it? That's really the invitation. That's the heart of this message. Are you thirsty? You long for a drink of that spiritual water, living water. Well, I told you the outline was who can receive the gift and how is it received. Let's jump right into that first one. Who can receive the gift? It comes right here from this verse. Who can receive the gift if anyone? Isn't that what it says? If anyone. That's you. <laughs> That's me. I'm an anyone. You may all are welcome. Men, women, boys, girls. No race is excluded. Scoundrels, scamps. Rascals, rubes, you may be a scoundrel, you may be a preacher, or you may be both. <laughs> and you are welcome. And you're welcome. Not good news. Well, does it come with a catch, preacher? You say, anyone, can anyone come and receive the good news of the gospel? Anyone? Is there a catch? Yes. Look, see, I put an asterisk. 
You know, okay, well, I knew it. There'd be fine print. And technically, I have to be fair to you, there is fine print. Jesus says, anyone, uh uh-uh, not just anyone, anyone what? There is one requirement. Anyone who is thirsty. (laughs) There's the footnote. Anyone, he says, who is thirsty. What am I trying to say? All you need is need. But the people who are going to miss out on this gospel invitation are the ones who don't think they need it. See? The ones who are going to miss out on this are the self-made and the self-satisfied and the self-assured. The smug and the self-righteous will miss out. So if, if, if you don't have any thirst, if you say, well, I, I don't need God, I don't need any help, I don't need it, then, then I, you know, well, of course you're going to miss out. That's how sin is. Sin is so devious, sin will not only take from a person, but they will blind that person of their true spiritual condition. I had a buddy uh, down in uh, uh, Texas, and uh, uh, he uh, said, hey, I was preaching uh, for him for, for a weekend years ago, and he said, hey, while you're here, I, I, I'd love for you to just uh, have, have some wheels to get around, so here, take my car. And as he said, yeah, just one thing you need to know about that. Anytime you get a car with a warning sticker, it's always, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, he said, one thing you need to know, uh, the gas gauge is completely broken. So uh, your guess is as good as mine, <laughs> Uh, and I thought about that. That's how sin is. Um, you, you know, th- th- this poor guy, he would get real low on gas, but he would be blind to his true condition. In the same way, that's what sin does in a person's life. It not only steals your fuel for living, and not only steals your joy and steals your peace, and not only takes your gas, it robs you of the gas gauge. It blinds you to the gas gauge. It not only steals your gas, it breaks your gauge. Does that make sense? It wears down your conscience. It tells you you're fine, you're okay. It says peace, peace to you when there is no peace. So how do you fix a gas gauge? Right here, right now. The word of God. It still pierces hearts. See? God's Holy Spirit can anoint his word and touch your heart. And even if, if you've you got sin and you got a broken gas gauge and your conscience is all messed up and twisted, the word of God can still come forth. And Jesus' simple invitation rings out as clear as a bell. Love came for you. If anyone is thirsty, he says, let him come to me and drink. And sometimes the very invitation reveals to us our great thirst for him. My point is, all you need is need. Are you needy? And come. How is it received? Jesus tells us. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And who, he tells you what he means by the metaphor. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Come to me and drink simply means believe in Jesus. Put your full faith in Jesus. Transfer the trust of your eternal soul from being in your hands, transfer that trust into the hands of Jesus. Got it? You're in control of your life? Give it completely to Jesus. Hands off. That's what it means. Believe in me. Go all in. Jump with both feet, full of faith, into my arms. Come to me. And, I, and notice the, the to me. Let him come. See that? To me and drink. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of options. Hmm? There's a lot of options uh, for what someone could imbibe in their soul in 2022. There always have been. And and I'm here to tell you, they will not quench your thirst. There's a bottle over here that says, more money, 
It won't quench it. When your soul is thirsty, money is not what I need, right? Uh, power, sex, work, academic success, whatever. Prestige, perhaps one of the most dangerous uh, to drink from is, is more ritual and more legalism. Jesus says, come to me. And I would say this, not only, not only does trying to satisfy your soul with these things that are not Jesus, not only do they fail to satisfy, watch this, they not only fail to quench your thirst, they actually compound your thirst. Everybody know about that, right? Everybody know about uh, 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 soldiers stranded at sea and the, uh, the, the dangers of uh, being surrounded by all that salt water? You know what happens if you drink the crystal clear salt water? It not only fails to quench the soldier's thirst, it compounds it. On July 30th of 1945, you know your history, the battle cruiser USS Indianapolis was returning from a mission in the Pacific. It didn't make it home. A torpedo hit the cruiser on its way back. Two torpedoes, in fact, sank in minutes. It took 12 minutes. Er, excuse me, in those 12 minutes. 300 of the 1,200 men died. So that leaves 900 into the water. Four days, five nights without food, water, under the blazing sun of the Pacific. Of the 900 men that went into the water, only 316 survived the lack of water, shark attacks. Well, one of those who survived was the chief medical officer. And he recorded his own experience in the journal later. And he writes, there was nothing I could do, nothing I could give but advice. I would bury the dead at sea, try to save the life jackets, and above all, Try to keep the men from drinking the water. Can you imagine? When the hot sun came out and we were in this crystal clear ocean, we were so thirsty, you just couldn't believe it wasn't good enough to drink. I had a hard time convincing those men they shouldn't drink that water. The real young ones, you take away their hope, they would drink the salt water. Those are the ones that would go fast. I remember striking the ones who were drinking the salt water to try to stop them because they would get dehydrated and become maniacal. That is a chilling metaphor for the availability of all this stuff around people right now and all these things in culture they could dip into to say, right, it's salt water. It will, it not only will it not quench your thirst, it'll compound it. If you're really thirsty, you tell me, how many buckets of sand are you going to have to eat to quench that thirst? <laughs> You'd say, Tom, that's a ridiculous question. No amount of buckets of sand would quench my thirst. Not only will it not quench it, it'll compound it. Exactly. But it sure looks good. That salt water sure looks, and, I'm, and, and when you're thirsty, doesn't that sure look good? It sure looks like that would do it. Jesus says money won't help when your soul is thirsty, material things. Ask someone who's battled the addictions, why did they start alcohol abuse? How did it all start? They'll tell you it started as a thirst. It started as a way to cope, a mechanism to cope. And not only did it not help me cope when I became addicted, it, I found it compounded my problems that I was trying to get away from when I started, right? Ask somebody who's dealing with materialism. Not only did going into debt and, and acquiring all these things, not only did it not satisfy me, but now i got bigger problems than when I started. It compounds. It doesn't quench. Jesus says, stop compounding your thirst and come to Jesus and drink. I love that. Come to me and drink. Isn't that something? There's an old expression, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You ever heard that expression? That struck me when I was thinking about this. Jesus is such a gentleman. He's not... He's not 
grabbing your arm and jabbing an IV in there. <laughs> it's an invitation. I can't drink spiritual living water for you. You can't drink it for me. So this isn't a sermon for your neighbor sitting next to you. What about you? Come to me, he says, and drink. Well, thirdly, what is the gift for? Everybody got it? We got who can receive it? How is it received? And what's it for? What's the blessings? What is this out of his heart flowing rivers of living water? Well, whoever believes in me, verse 38 says, Jesus says basically this is, this is a metaphor for the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's the end of verse 38. Now, I love this. I love when John does this. Often in his gospel, John will provide commentary on the words of Jesus to help us understand it better. It's like we, we interrupt this incredible thing Jesus said to explain to you what on earth he's talking about. I love that. He does that. My favorite is when in John 21, sorry for the aside, but in John 21, when Jesus tells Peter, he reinstates him. He's like, listen, you didn't follow me because you didn't want to go to the cross. You denied me, but there's going to be a day when others will gird you. They will lead you. They will stretch out your hands and take you to the place you didn't want to go. And John goes, he said this to indicate the kind of death he would die. And you're like, I think we got it. Now, those he, now this, very helpful. He says, this river's of living water. I understand it's a metaphor. He said this about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given. What he means has not been given in, in full measure. The way the little baby came in the manger in Bethlehem, at Pentecost, in full measure, the Spirit would descend upon the people. It doesn't mean the Spirit was not there. It just means the Spirit not being given in full measure. Why? Because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, so John's giving us some commentary, talking about the Holy Spirit. So what are the benefits? Can we, can we just unwrap? If you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. You've, you've received this great promise, come to me and drink. So let's unwrap it. Let's take it out of the package and, and look at it a little bit. Well, the water imagery, what a great metaphor for what God does in your life. It's living, flowing waters. Why is that significant? Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Because <clears throat> Jesus is drawing a distinction between a spring, river, living, vibrant, and a cistern, a well, a dead, stagnant cistern. Uh, because a well in the ancient Near East was really like a cistern. Uh, basically, when the rainy season came, which we've been in now for quite some time, <laughs> uh, when that happened, the rain would come into the cistern and collect it. And then very uh, logically, if it went for a dry spell for a long time, then that cistern would just become dry. That's it. There, 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 there's no living water in it. There, it's not a spring. Everybody understand the difference? There's no source. It's just a bucket in set in the ground, essentially, really large bucket, which means if at any point you wanted to build over a well, you could do it. You would just fill in the well, make it part of the foundation, and no problem. If, on the other hand, it was a spring, oh, spring is very different. A spring, an underground source. Let me tell you something. You can build on top of a well, but if you try to build on top of an underground water source, water always wins. Ask my basement. Water. Anybody? Anybody? Am I the only one? Why is it? You can, but I put concrete down there. I put the straw. I put steel. You put anything you want. Water will find a way. 
Doesn't that make it the perfect metaphor for our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit? People put up so much blockade against the Holy Spirit. They put up so much defense against the Holy Spirit. But water finds a way. Doesn't the Holy Spirit find a way when it seems like there is no way? Every little crack and crevice, oh, God will find a way. I want you to see that it's not just a well, Jesus says. In other words, when you get saved, Jesus is saying spring water, living water, is persistent. When you get saved, Jesus doesn't hand you a gallon of grace, a cup of faith, a two-liter forgiveness, and say, use it sparingly. Because when it's gone, it's gone. Can you imagine if each of us were given two gallons of grace? You'd have burned through that coming out of the baptistry. You would have never made it, right? So instead, what does he give us? New mercies every morning. How are they new every morning? Because it's a spring, not a well. See the difference? He gives you not, I, I want you to see this. I know I'm belaboring the point because we need it. Jesus doesn't just say you'll get nourishment. He says you'll get the source of all nourishment. I'm going to give you God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul can write, each of us is now a part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit where we all come to drink. And water, water just knows where to go. Water just knows where to go. Take Jesus. He knows where to go. Uh, uh, Let me explain it this way. Uh, Have you ever taken a drink of water and had to give instructions to the water? Yeah. So before swallowing, you look at the liquid and you say, all right, guys, 10 drops of you straight to my spleen. I need 50 of you on cardiovascular detail and the rest of you head north to my scalp. Very itchy. Everybody clear on your directions? Okay, those are the parts in my life I need it. Now, I take down the water. No, water just knows where to go. Uh, In the same way, people have so many symptomatic problems. They say, I got this anxiety, I got this depression, I got this disease, I can't get over this person, I can't get over this relationship, I can't, I I, I need this forgiveness, I got this financial issue, I got got all these things. And I think sometimes, you know, you you come to church and you say, well, you know, I, I really need to go to the Bible on, you know, I've really got to get a specific answer to a specific question. I think a better approach would be to drink deeply from the Holy Spirit. And you'd be surprised. He knows where to go. He knows those broken places in your life. And you'll be surprised at what drinking deeply from the Holy Spirit will do in ways that maybe will even surprise you. You, you know, you, you, you came to Christ maybe because you had this great crisis, but suddenly he, he's healing this area over here. Or, or you came to him for this over here, and he's working in this area of your life. It's wonderful. He knows where to go. The Holy Spirit, of course, is a holy spirit, and so we should not be surprised to find over time growing in holiness. Let me ask you, those of you who've been walking with the Lord a long time, is he a spring of living water? Are you growing more critical of others or less? Are you growing harsher or more tender? Are you becoming more aware of sin and are you faster to repent? Are you having sweet times of refreshing from the Lord? It's a flow. And that's the last thing I want to point out about how great this gift is. Notice, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, there is a direction to it. You will flow. 
Being filled with the Holy Spirit, watch this, means you flow to refresh others, not always drain others to fill yourself. (laughs) I'd like to ask you a very simple and pointed question. Uh, When you're around other people, do you fill others up or do you drain them? If the Spirit of God is working in your life, the question is, are you a fountain for people or a drain? Do the people around you feel sucked dry or do they feel enhanced? Do they feel like you're building them up or you're depleting them? That's the question. I can't tell you how many people uh, that I go and, uh, you know, I, I talk to and I think, well, okay, I'm going to go minister to them. I'm going to go bless them. You know, I'm going to pour out. You know, they're, they're sick or they, whatever. They, they could be in the hospital or they're having some terrible thing. And I get there. And you know what ends up happening? Because they've been walking with the Lord for so long. They're so filled with the Holy Spirit. They end up blessing me. They end up pouring out to me, and I walk out of there going, man, that was awesome. I feel so encouraged. I feel so built up. I was supposed to encourage them, right? But they're so filled with the Holy Spirit that water just finds a way, and out of them, you've experienced it. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. People come to bless you. You end up encouraging them. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit working in you. That's not of you. God did that. It's a gift, and you're living into the blessings, that great gift exchange, see? Well, I want to conclude this message with the last part of this verse. And uh, I've jokingly said it's tacky to ask this question, but I hope you'll forgive me when you see where I'm going. How much did it cost? The final words of this verse, of course, Jesus, John's commentary is that the Holy Spirit had not come in full measure because Jesus was not yet glorified. Remember I told you all this took place in October. This was the fall festival. That means it was six months before the big spring festival, Passover. In John 7, that means Jesus had about six more months before the cross. Soon he would die the agonizing death of the cross and the resurrection and ascension into glory. He would be glorified. So here's what I think he's saying. I think he's reminding everyone of what this festival points to. Now, I want you to stay with me for this. This is an unexpected turn here at the end. Uh, uh, but, but, but I, I think it's worth it. This festival points to Exodus 17, the great smiting of the rock. Do you remember what happened there? Do you remember exactly? Do you remember all the details of that? God had been providing for the Israelites in the wilderness. He took care of them in so many ways, but when they got thirsty, they rebelled. They turned around. They blamed God, basically saying, we don't like the way you're ruling. I don't know if that sounds familiar to any of us. So what they decided to do, because they were mad at God, but they tried to kill somebody else. They tried to kill Moses because they figured Moses is the authority figure that they could actually lay their hands on. They were really mad at God, but they hated the authority figure. So they, they basically wanted to sue him for breach of contract. You know, this is not what we asked for. We're out here in the wilderness. We're all going to die. It was better in Egypt. This is all God's fault. This is all your fault. And we can't get to God. We can get to you, so we're going to kill him. So here, here's what I want to do. I want you to glance. You, you don't have to turn there. Just look up here at Exodus 17 so we get the exact details right in our mind. This is the story. So Moses cried out to the Lord. This is Exodus 17:4. Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. What does God do? God comes to Moses in verse 5 and says, and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Now, if you're reading this and you don't know how everything works out, you go, oh, it's on. A council of elders, 
the rod of judgment, everybody knows what's about to happen. These ungrateful people have just accused Almighty God. We're going to judge you. And God rolls up his sleeves and says, you thought you were going to judge me? I'm about to judge you. The rod, is the, that means judgment, the staff. That's a rod of judgment, okay? He struck, remember, the Nile. That's the point. He struck the Nile. That was judgment upon Egypt. So everybody is like, everybody who's reading this goes, I know what's going to happen next. He is forming a council with those elders. You come and you go take all these people, and they're about to be struck down with the rod of judgment. They're going to be put on trial. But when we get to the rock, God shocks everybody and says, verse 6, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. My presence, the Shekinah glory of God, will be on that rock. And you shall strike the rock. And the water shall come out of it. And the people will drink. So Moses, I'm going to stand on the rock. Put all the elders around it. Take the rod of God and hit it. I'm sorry, the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, which no one is allowed to touch or see. You want me to do what now? Strike it. Moses doesn't get it. (laughs) Nobody gets it. All we know is Moses lifts the rod of God when God stands on the rock, and he brings down that staff on that rock. And after the stroke, water comes out, and all the people are saved. Now, literally, of course, Moses can't strike into the Shekinah glory of God. He wasn't literally able to strike God, but you see what God is saying. God is saying, someday somebody will be punished for the cosmic sinfulness of the human race. Somewhere, justice will be done. For everyone who's been uh, robbed, everyone who's been lied to, everyone who's been hurt, don't worry. One day, justice will be done. But but I'm going to come down and stand in the place of the guilty. I'm going to make myself vulnerable. I will take the rod of judgment. I will be the one who struck. I can't help but think when Jesus stands up in John 7 and he says, if anyone's thirsty, come to me and drink. You know, in in 1 Corinthians 10, 4, Paul literally says, Christ is the rock. He allowed himself to be broken. He allowed himself to be punished. He allowed himself to be on that rock struck for us and our salvation. Even on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. He was the rock that was struck. And from him and from no one else flows living water, which is still flowing today. For anyone who is thirsty, come receive this gift exchange and thirst no more. Let's pray. God, grant to anyone here today whose conscience is seared and their sin gauge is broken, they're hurt and they're beaten up, but they know they're thirsty. Let them today drink deeply of your offer of salvation. Let them believe. Let them jump in, both feet, trusting you for salvation. If anybody hears this message online and they don't know you, let today be that day. Let them just cry out to you. Trust in you. They don't need to know a bunch of theology or a bunch of scripture verses that haven't learned or whatever. All they need is need. Grant that they would come to you today. And Lord, for those of us who are believers, grant that that uh, 
streams of living water, not just streams, streams, living, vibrant streams, the Holy Spirit would flow in such a way, God, that we might be a blessing to people, not a drain. Grant that to us. And thank you, Lord, that you didn't just give us a little cup, a little gallon or two, but a stream of living water. Thank you for your love. Grant to us that we'd be nourished by you, fed by this living stream. Thank you for this great gift exchange. In Jesus' name, amen.